Hello and welcome to this vidcast which is devoted to uh, the acquisition of Pharmaset by Gilead. Of course Gilead you know because everybody is talking about the Remdesivir, an antiviral product which is produced by Gilead. It had been developed but not very efficient for the Ebola fever. Later on there were studies for MERS, SARS and now SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. It seems that remdesivir is a good product because it shortens recovery time and the time you're going to spend at the hospital if you are uh, contaminated by COVID-19. If you observe the evolution of the stock price of Gilead over the last 12 months, you have a stability during 10 months and then as COVID-19 shows, uh, the relevance of the pharmaceutical industry is improving, is increasing, and then the plus 0% becomes plus 20% over two months. The Gilead stock price is up, especially because of remdesivir. In the meantime, if you observe the evolution of the NASDAQ index, it's very much up and then sharply down with a kind of recovery uh, as of the 8th of May. Now let's consider the last figures which were produced by Gilead. It's for the first quarter of 2020. The company shows sales of $5.5 billion. Most of them is about HIV product, $4.1 billion. And Gilead is very well known for antiviral products. Of course, HIV is at the forefront. The second product line is devoted to HCV, hepatitis C virus. The company reports... Uh, $700 million of revenues and is announcing that uh, the reduction in the revenues is due to price reductions. It will be part of our subject, others 0.8. The company is immensely profitable if you consider that the EBIT, the operating profit, the income from operations is almost 50% of sales and the bottom line, the earnings after tax and net income is $2.1 billion out of 5.5. The company is very profitable. Now, if you observe the last 20 years of Gilead adjusted stock prices, adjusted to take into account dividends and share buybacks, you observe that the stock price is gradually moving up from something to $20 per share in 2008, stable up 2012, and then the stock price is going to be multiplied by 5 from 2012 to 2015, its peak at $100, then down to 60, and now it is within a range 60 to 80 around. 2012 is a very important year for Gilead and its HCV treatment because it's the acquisition of Pharmacet. Pharmacet has developed and patented a very important molecule whose name is Sophosbuvir, uh, codename GS7977. That's not very important. What is very important is very efficient. It's completely curing people and not helping them surviving and getting through the disease. And the secondary effects are extremely limited because there is no interferon in the treatment. Uh, don't ask me anything about that. This is technical stuff, but it's very important to understand that. Now, the FDA approval, thanks to which you can sell your products on the market, is expected during the second quarter of 2013. It will be uh, provided in the fourth quarter, but basically it's quite soon. There's a very high probability that you get the approval from the FDA because the results are extremely promising for phase two and phase three products. The stock price for the acquisition will be $137 per share, which shows a premium of almost 90% 
uh, about the initial stock price before the story starts. The initial offer of Gilead was $100, and then they had to move up to $137 to get the deal. The acquisition price is going to be about $11 billion, which is predominantly acquiring a molecule. And in the accounts of Gilead, the Sophos Bouvier will show at a price and a value of $10.7 billion, a little bit of goodwill, 0.6 billion, a little bit of cash, 0.1, some assets net of liabilities, minus 0.4. It gives you the 11 billion. So you understand that predominantly it is the molecule. How is it financed? Well, by net financial debt. You remember financial debt net of cash. So cash is going to be mobilized up to 5.2 billion. There will be 2.15 billion of bank debt and senior unsecured notes for 3.7, with a maturity ranging from a short 2014 to very long 2041, with uh, interest rates coupons of 2.4 to 5.65%. So debt and cash are together financing the deal. The molecule Sophosbevere will become a portfolio of products, first Sovaldi, followed by Arveni, then Epclusa and Vosivy today. On the graph here, you can see the accumulated revenues generated by the HCV franchise at uh, Gilead. And you understand that over a period of six years, the company generated more than $62 billion of revenues, which is absolutely fantastic. All products are in blue, so it is a Sovaldi++. And you understand that Sovaldi started very marginally in 2013, then $10 billion in 2014. It goes down in 2015, replaced by Arvoni, which starts in 2014, goes up to $13 billion, etc., etc. And you understand that there is a declining trend. You get to the top of the graph of the revenues in 2015, and then it starts declining for a number of reasons, including pricing considerations, which we are going to discuss now. Now, what are the financial economics of this activity? Market cap 2012 on the average, 45 billion. 2015, average market capitalization, 153 billion. So you understand that it's a great success for the shareholders. Accumulated sales, again, $62 billion. And it represents about 40% of the total revenues and sales of Gilead over the period. So it's really a blockbuster. There will be some patent-related issues, intellectual property, a conflict with Merck, which seems to be about to be resolved today. And what's interesting is to observe how much cash was returned to shareholders during this period of 2013 to 2019, $46 billion, out of which 13 for dividends and $33 billion for shares buyback. 40% of revenues, you take 40% of cash return to shareholders. This is an approximation, of course, but it represents $18 billion. So it's nice to give $18 billion to your shareholders when you consume $11 billion, which was coming from bankers and cash. Now let's start a small valuation exercise. You remember that the enterprise value is the sum over a period of free cash flows discounted at the weighted average cost of capital. We are going to evaluate the project, which consists in buying pharmacet and generating cash flows out of selling HCV treatments. From 1 to N, it's going to be from 2013 to 2019. Uh, the free cash flow I'm going to detail a little bit later. And the WAC, let's start with the WAC. 
The weighted average cost of capital is share of debt, share of equity, respectively multiplied by cost of debt and cost of equity. Share of debt and cost of debt is going to be relatively simple because there is no debt. Those companies equity financed and the weighted average cost of capital is simply the cost of equity. You remember that the cost of equity is made of long-term government bond rate, which is a risk-free rate, plus a risk premium, which is the average equity market risk premiums. Let's take 6% in the United States, multiplied by a coefficient which economically describes the sensitivity of your firm, of your company, to what happens in macroeconomic conditions. It's generally speaking lower than 1 for the pharmaceutical industry, and it is econometrically calculated simply looking at the correlation on the stock market of your stock price to the stock market index. Now, Gilead was listed in 1992. When I calculate the beta, it's generally speaking, on monthly returns over 36 months, because it gives, quotes, reasonable figures. Then, as the company is listed in 92, the figures you see on the graph start in 1995, 36 months later. At the very beginning, you see a beta which is very chaotic. And it's very often the case when you list a company, the first betas are not that uh, consistent with the economic activity of the company. Now, starting in 2001, 2002, uh, Gilead has a beta which is a pharma beta. 0.8 and then 0.5 probably because the trajectory of the company starts being a little bit decorrelated from uh, the macroeconomic conditions. Then it's a very low beta and it starts moving up in 2012 when the company is buying PharmaSet. It does not really come from the fact that the company is more risky, but it comes from the context. If you look at what happened after 2010-2011, stock markets showed a recovery. Why? Because basically it was the end of the subprime crisis, more or less, and the stock markets they were showing an upside, which was the consequence of getting out of the crisis. In the meantime, Gilead is showing a very nice stock price increase, and this is why Probably because of this HCV treatment success, the beta is going to go up. It does not mean higher risk. It means that the company is simply profiting from this upside. Then it stabilizes around one. It went down because probably uh, the pharmaceutical industry is uh, a little bit more resilient than the rest of the economy. Now, the consequence of that, you can calculate OWAC as a cost of equity. You remember debt is on the average zero. And cost of equity is government bond rate, long term, plus 6%, multiplied by a beta, which I took at around 0 0.7, 0 0.7, 0.8. Uh, you show then a cost of equity, which is 7 to 8%. And in the calculation, I will take 7.5%. Now, let's move to the free cash flow calculation. Now, let me remind you that in the e-learning pillar of the site, uh, module 8 of the uh, financial knowledge uh, e-learning modules is devoted to um, discounted free cash flows, company valuation, and the free cash flow calculation is explained in the module. Now, the free cash flow which you generate from business operations is a difference between how much cash you get in and how much cash you have to spend. How much cash you get is EBITDA minus taxes, tax savings and depreciation, but how much do you have to invest today so that you generate sales, revenues and EBITDA tomorrow? 
industrial investment, capital expenditures, and you remember that the working capital requirement increase is consumption of cash. Now, if you replace in the formula EBITDA by EBIT plus depreciation and amortization, then you transform a little bit on a mathematical point of view the formula, which becomes EBIT after tax, which is also named NOPAT, which stands for net operating profit after tax, plus depreciation minus investment, and at the end, minus delta working capital requirement. Now, we are going to see in a minute that uh, capital expenditures are absolutely negligible for the pharmaceutical industry, including Gilead. It's not about manufacturing. It's about research and development. This is why there is a reasonable assumption, which is capex and depreciation are quite low and quite the same. Of course, this is an approximation, but which is quite realistic in this industry. Now, the working capital requirement is about zero for Gilead over the period. So we are going to simplify the delta working capital requirement, replacing that by simply zero. Then the formula is much shorter and quite simple. The free cash flow is limited to the net operating profit after tax, EBIT multiplied by one minus corporate tax rate. Then you need to calculate the EBIT, you need to calculate the corporate tax rate, and you get your free cash flows from 2013 to 2019. Let's have a look at the assumptions. If you observe on the graph, the evolution of the gross margin, it's quite stable and around 80%. Gross margin is revenues, sales minus cost of goods sold, cost of sales. It starts with 70-something percent before HCV treatments. Then it goes up, and you remember that the peak is 2014-2015. At that time, the gross margin rate is 85, close to 90%. I'm going to take 80% as an assumption, which is reasonably conservative assumption for the uh, gross margin rate for HCV. After you calculated the gross margin, you have now to deduct the indirect costs, which are named SGNA. It was about 15% 2011, 12, and 13. It goes down when the HCV treatment is doing its best, probably because the revenues are skyrocketing. And then it goes up in the last years, it's about 20%, but it was about 10, 10, 11% during the fantastic years of the HCV treatments. This is why I took 13%, which again is quite conservative because again, the sales are peaking in 2014, 2015, when the SGNA is about 10%. Now, there's a very difficult question. Here in red, you see the research and development expenses as a percentage to revenues, as a percentage to sales. Yes, but it's the R&D spendings for the company as a whole, not the R&D spendings, which should be exactly focusing on the development of HCV treatments. Where do you get the figures? Well, you get the figures inside and not in the annual report. The good news is that you have some very precise insider information in a report which was produced by the U.S. Senate in December 2015. I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on that later. So R&D here is not relevant. What is relevant is what was actually spent on the HCV treatments. The EBITDA is a consequence of all of that. So 50%, very profitable, goes up because of HCV, then goes down. And today is about 30% because um, much more R&D investment these last years at Gilead, probably to work on the renewal of the portfolio. 
Interestingly, if you look at the capital expenditures figures, you understand that it's completely marginal compared with the rest of the story. This is why when I say that capex and depreciation are more or less compensating each other and the difference is going to be zero, it's a quite realistic assumption. It's an approximation which is worth being considered. Now you put all the figures in an Excel spreadsheet and you get the result. Top line, sales. Uh, these revenues come from the 10K annual report provided by Gilead. These are the official figures. I took a growth margin rate of 80% and SGNA rate of 13%. These assumptions are reasonably conservative. What about R&D? Well, there are two periods. One is 2012-2014, when the company is really developing the products and getting the approval from the FDA. The figures are provided by Gilead itself to the US Senate, and they show in a report I already mentioned. After this period, I took some assumptions, and I considered that 2014-2013 were peaks, and thereafter, as it's not about developing a molecule, but adapting the molecule to new treatments based on the same patent and the same development, I consider that the figure in absolute terms and relative to sales were declining. This is my assumptions, and it is certainly wrong. Now, what about the EBIT? The EBIT is negative during the first year because there is no revenue and just R&D spendings. The EBIT is negative in 2013 because you have marginal revenues and still R&D spendings. And then as sales start skyrocketing in 2014, the EBIT is now positive. You have to take into account tax payments when EBIT is positive, tax savings when EBIT is negative. The average tax rate of the period is about 25%. Then you get the EBIT after tax, again, the net operating profit after tax. Uh, which starts from negatives and moves to 6, 8, 7, etc. I calculated the accumulated nominal NOPAT without any discounting. It's about $30 billion, which is a quite high figure. But as these cash flows are delayed in the future, you have to discount them. 7.5% is a whack. And then you can calculate the NPV of the project, which consists in buying farm assets for $11 billion completing R&D to get the FDA approval, and then selling treatments for the HCV. The net present value is value net of cost, 23 net of 11, and it is 12 billion. I remind you the assumptions. Depreciation and amortization is about capital expenditure. That's fine. And working capital requirement is stable. Then the delta working capital requirement is also stable, zero. Acquisition 11, value 23, value creation 12 billion. So obviously, it was absolutely a great deal, a fantastic deal for Gilead. Now, was it a good decision? When I ask this question to people, they say, but as the company did very well, it was certainly a good decision. The answer is no, because you took the decision a few years ago. Now you see the output of your decision today, and it's not because ex post you observe that you made a lot of money, that ex ante you took the right decision. Let me elaborate on that. As an example, I'm going to ask you, do you want to play heads and tails with me? So you flip a coin. If it falls on heads, probability 0.5, I give you $100,000 and you're happy. If the coin falls on tails with a probability of 0.5, you give me $1 million and then you're extremely unhappy.
Is it a good decision to play heads and tails with me? The answer is absolutely not. It's a terrible decision. Now you play with me and the coin falls on heads and you make $100,000. So it's a great deal because you have $100,000 in your pocket ex post. But ex ante, it was a terrible decision. You understand that if you are today or yesterday, it's a different perspective. Now let's go back to yesterday. Yesterday, when the company is taking the decision, there are some microeconomic considerations. You have the value of farm asset, which consists in the probabilities that you get the approval from the FDA, multiplied by the value of the molecule and the treatments if the FDA gives the approval. To calculate the value, you make a price, volume, sensitivity analysis, which is very traditional stuff. If you increase the price, you generate higher margins, but you sell less. Less volume, higher margins. Then you have to make a compromise and a trade-off between these two, and you try to maximize the net present value. Now, if you observe at which price all these treatments for HCV were sold by Gilead, they fall within a range of 75 to 95. It's an average of 85,000. The first treatment was sold for 84,000. It was Sovaldi. Interestingly, how the decision was taken by the board of Pharmacet is documented in the report which I mentioned earlier. Pharmacet was expecting, anticipating a price, a selling price for the whole treatment of $36,000 which is much less than the price range which I gave you. Now, Morgan Stanley, who was the banker working for Pharmacet in the deal, made a price sensitivity and presented to the board and the senior management of the company a management case. And in the management case, you observe that at the $72,000 selling price of the treatment, the price of the stock of Pharmacet stock should be $290. Now, the deal accepted by the board was at 137, which demonstrates that definitely the board considers that 72,000 was absolutely not realistic. In the meantime, the bank, which was supporting Guy Lead in the decision-making process, Barclays Bank, was providing a management case with a price range of 55 to 75. So a kind of average of 65. So in the mind of the board of Pharmacet, it was 36. In the mind of the board of Gilead, it was 65. And in the end, it was 85. Now imagine a second that the deal would have been at 290 instead of 137 then the Pharmacet acquisition price would have been 11 billion, starting point at 137, multiplied by the new price divided by the old price. If you divide 290 by 137, new price divided by old, and you multiply that by the actual Pharmacet acquisition price, 11 billion, you get 23 billion. You remember that the enterprise value, which I calculated with some assumptions, obviously, was also 23. So you pay 23 for an acquisition, and at the end of the day, you generate a value which is 23. The value creation is nil. Interestingly, why did the selling price of the treatment went up from an average of 65 to an average of 85? Now, Sovaldi, the first treatment which was sold by Gilead, was costing $84,000 over 90 days, which is about $1,000 per day and per pill. What Gilead says is, compared with alternatives, it's a bargain. If you use a treatment, Sovaldi, 
you are completely cured and definitely cured from uh, HCV. With the other treatments, you are not cured. You survive, it improves your situation, but it doesn't work really well. The most dramatic alternative is a liver transplant, which costs about $200,000 just for the operation, and then medication for the rest of your life, $40,000 per year. So you understand that $84,000, really, it's cheap. Now, when you are Gilead and you take your decision, there are three bets. Bet number one is FDA will give the approval. It's very likely because the results are extremely promising. The second bet is, is the new pricing going to be accepted by the pricing authorities, the organizations which, in the end, eventually are going to pay for the treatment? The answer is, well, probably because it's a very, very competitive treatment compared with uh, the other alternatives. The bet number three is, well, it's going to be sold at a high price, $1,000 per pill, $1,000 per day. What about public and societal acceptance? Because in the end, if you increase the price, say from 36 to 65 or from 65 to 85, you generate higher margins, but higher margins with price sensitivity is lower volumes. Lower volumes means that less people are going to receive the treatment. And this is why there was a big controversy about the selling price of Sovaldi. As a consequence of this controversy, uh, the United States Senate asked a committee to provide some insights, economic, financial and societal insights, on the pricing of Sovaldi. In this report, which was produced and published in December 2015, we have plenty of insider information about Pharmacet and Gilead decisions. Among the insider information, there is a very interesting slide, Gilead slide, which is, well, what's going to happen if we propose this price? What will be the potential negative reactions of stakeholders? The payers, the physicians, uh, lobbyists, and so on and so forth. And you understand that with the wave one of Sofosbevir, what's going to happen? Basically, Sovaldi. If the price is 50 or 60 or 80 or 95 or 115,000, what is the likelihood that there will be some problems on the market? And if you look at 80,000 in the middle, you understand that there are possible negative reactions. Of course, very likely there will be negative reactions from stakeholders, patients, and advocacy groups, but it is, quotes, natural. But if you see the rest of the crowd, it's going to be reasonably quiet. It starts being a little bit red when you go up to 95, and it's very red if you get to 115. But if you get to 80 or 85,000, it looks like manageable. Well, basically, the reaction was extremely negative. It was regarded as an outrage. Paying $1,000 per day for one pill per day during 90 days, and the cost of producing this pill is about $10, very likely. It was regarded as indecent. Now, what are the impacts for Gilead? Well, first, uh, a report which was produced by the U.S. Senate, which demonstrate um, that uh, you increase the price from the moment you took the decision to uh, the moment you got the approval from the FDA, and definitely a reputational impact. 
Reputational impact is very hard to measure. It's very hard to quantify. How many dollars do you lose in terms of reputational capital? It's absolutely impossible to quantify, but it's real. Let me give you an example which is very far from the pharmaceutical industry. Well, Walmart bought MassMart in South Africa. They wanted to buy 100% of the shares. Uh, the government was okay. The stock market authorities were okay. The board was okay. The top management was okay. And in the end, they did not buy 100% of the shares. They bought 51%. Why? Because the people were against that. And the people said, well, you know, if Walmart buys MassMart, what's going to happen? You have a number of local entrepreneurs who are going to disappear because Walmart has uh, some um, undelicate ways to reduce its costs. And at the end of the day, they forced Walmart to limit its equity stake to 51%. So in the end, Walmart did the job and got only 50% of the value. So you understand that here you can measure, quantify a real destruction of reputational capital. Now, interestingly, on a financial point of view, if Gilead had sold the product at $36,000 for the whole treatment, it would have shown a 60% discount against the 85, which was the actual. I calculated the enterprise value of 23 billion based on the actual price, which is about 85,000. Now, if you calculate a kind of uh, break-even discount rate, so which discount uh, from 85 gives you an enterprise value which exactly matches with the acquisition price, 11 billion, it's 50% discount. So if instead of selling at an average of 85,000, you sell at an average of, uh, say, 42,000, well, the value of your acquisition is exactly the acquisition price. But 36,000 is not a 50% discount. It is a 60% discount. Then you understand that the net present value would be negative. Of course, probably your reputational capital is intact, no loss on this side, but a financial loss. Now, if you consider the first price at 65000 it was really safe, they considered, on a reputational impact side, and it was a 25% discount, then again, for the 25% discount, the enterprise value would have been $17 billion, which is significantly more than eleven, because then the value creation is $6 billion. 17 minus 11. Maybe you protect a little bit more your reputational impact. It's a good deal. They decided to go for a great deal. A great deal is 85,000 and a value creation of 12 billion, which is 23 minus 11. It's a great deal, but is it a good decision? It's absolutely impossible to give an answer. Because the day it affects your reputational capital, you'll see the impact in the long term. So, of course, in the short run, you have a high NPV. In the long term, you have capital destruction, and you have to make a balance and a trade-off between these two. Now, the pharmaceutical industry is a very, very specific industry. 
because it's about uh, curing people. It's about helping people getting through a disease, being cured or at least being able to get through the sickness. So it's about the health of people. It's about their well-being. And then you understand that you have a kind of trade-off and conflict sometimes between a higher net present value and the well-being of people doing good. That's absolutely fundamental. When you establish your pricing strategy, you have to take into consideration this kind of trade-off between selling price and doing good for the people. This is always the case. And you have to make then a trade-off between short-term microeconomics, long-term reputational capital, and long-term well-being for the people. Now, was it a good decision for Gilead? Not only buying Pharmacet at 11 billion, but identifying 65 and then $85,000 as a kind of average selling price of the treatment. It's extremely difficult to say today. We'll see that again in the future. And I let you give your own answer to that question. But I would like to uh, conclude this vidcast uh, with a friendly hello to four of my students at École des Ponts in 2018, because Jules and Lucas and Mylon Charbel, uh, they worked on the pharmacet case under my supervision. So they worked very hard. They did a very good job and they got a very good grade out of that. So a very uh, kind and warm and friendly hello to the team of four. And part of what you've been listening to in this vidcast comes from their job. Now, a big thank you to my students and a thank you to all of you for your attention.